0: Greetings and welcome to episode number 23 of Patriot to the Core Podcast. I am Thad Forrester. Thank you once again for listening with me. Uh, Today's guest is Frank Jones. He is a World War II veteran and also was a POW for four months. And uh, Mr. Jones uh, got married very young to his high school sweetheart and two months later, or two weeks later, sorry, after uh, uh, World War II began, so he felt like he needed to serve. In some way, uh, he went down and joined the Air Force and was going to become a pilot. He ended up washing out of that program and uh, instead became a B-17 bombardier. Uh, So he got deployed, you know, went to England, and on his 23rd mission, he was shot down. And uh, he uh, was the last one out of the plane. The plane exploded. He ended up, uh, he parachuted safely down, uh, got a sprained ankle, but that was about it. Uh, And he also uh, lost his hearing from that explosion, uh, it kind of miraculously came back while he was a prisoner, a door was slammed and it just somehow his hearing came back. So that was an interesting story. But I asked him a few questions about, uh, you know, what he did while while he was in prison. And he said, well, you know, I was an officer, so we didn't do that much. The enlisted guys had to go out on work detail, but us officers, we, sat around, we had a volleyball net, we played some, we could listen to the radio, so we kinda knew what was going on with the war. And then I said, well, how did you survive the walk? Uh, They had to walk to Munich, about 100 POWs, mostly they were Americans. And this was in February, so I knew they didn't give them any special equipment or or clothing to wear during that. And he said, well, you know, we just just dealt with it. Um, I know he slept in a pig pen one night to help keep warm. And he said, uh, one day there were some German couples that ran out and brought them some pots of a sauerkraut, and of course the prisoners just laid into that. They just grabbed it with their hands and started eating, until the you know the German guards and soldiers saw what was going on and they quickly put an end to it. They fired their guns above the heads of those German couples providing the kraut, so that ended that. Um, I also asked him what the reunion was like with his family after he had after he came home and his wife had moved back in with her parents and so he took a cab to their home got out she ran outside saw him and then she ran back in the house Um, she ended up coming back out she you know i know that's kind of irrational uh, but you know it's very emotional Uh, after all i mean she had been told that his plane had been shot down so he was officially missing in action even though most people believed he was dead Uh, although his wife never believed at least maybe it, after the first few seconds of shock, she didn't believe that he was dead. And, uh, but so anyway, he said that she felt like, uh, something was going to happen to him again. That's why she turned around and ran back in the house frightened, but they ended up, uh, just a sweet reunion. He said he could have just hugged day, the daylights out of her. She was so beautiful. And I said, well, did you look much different? I mean, did, does that, did that scare her? Did you lose a lot of weight? He said, no, no, I may have been just a little bit skinnier, but not much. So, uh, we, we had a, a great talk this is a uh, one of the last re- few remaining members of the greatest generation and I hope you enjoy hearing from mr. Jones today and if you do please go to iTunes and rate the podcast and uh, share it all right well mr. Jones thank you for joining me on Patriot to the Core podcast uh, it's great having you as a guest I wanted to start and ask you uh, what's you know really what circumstances led to you joining the military
1: well uh... Like I told you, two weeks after my wife and I got married, the war broke out. And I thought I'd better do my duty to the country and went down and joined the Air Force. It took them 15 months to call me into active duty. The, the Army, Navy, Marines complained about this big manpower pool that nobody was using. So they called us in and sent us to college for four months, and we started our basic training. And and, uh, then we went to Santa Ana, California to be classified a pilot bombardier and navigator. And uh, we took several tests there, and, and then they as much of we'd be involved with the northern bomb site that was very secretive those days it was very accurate too and so the fbi had to interview us pretty thoroughly and uh, usually the cadets were in there about a half hour or more being interviewed and they called me in and he said cadet jones uh, I see you're from Salt Lake City. I said, yes, sir. He says, are you a Mormon? I said, yes, sir. He said, that'll be all. Thank you. And I came out. The fellows couldn't understand. It only took about 15 minutes or less to to interview me. And then from there, they called me in. uh, And when you take the test, you list what you like to be, pilot, bombardier, or navigator and uh, they called me and said, Cadet, uh, what do you want to be, pilot, bombardier, and navigator? I said, well, whatever I qualified best for. Uh, you got flight pay if you were in the Air Force, and I was a married man, so I was interested in that, too. And They said, well, you qualified for all three of them. What do you want? <laughs> so I took pilot training, and... Went from there down to Tucson, Arizona, and took my pilot training, and I soloed and everything. And My instructor is afraid of spins, and he took me through a couple of spins. And Then after I'd soloed, I tried a couple of them, too. You you, you pull your stick back and kick the right rudder, and you go to the right, and then you reverse it to recover and on my 35th check ride, this uh, colonel says, Cadet, give me a two-turn spin to the right. So I kicked the right rudder and pulled back the stick and, and recovered. And uh, we went around six times rather than two.
0: <laughs> was he talking yeah. to you over the radio?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Well, he's right there with me. Oh, he was with you. Okay. Oh, yeah, he's in the back seat there. He said, "Cadet, land this ship." <laughs> and of course, he washed me out of pilot training. I went back to Santa Ana and started out on my bombardier navigation course. Then, uh, from there, we uh, took a lot of my training at Buckley Field, Colorado, and around California. And then when I finished that and got my commission, I, they sent me to Nebraska, and all the pilot, bombers, navigators, gunners and all were sent there together, and they made a crew out of you. And then from there, uh, we went to Grappett City, South Dakota, to get our final combat training. Then after about three months there, we got our orders to go overseas. Uh, is this the stuff you want here? But uh, we took off for our destination, and we had to have their orders sealed in a letter, and we couldn't open them until we got all about 10 miles high in the air, and it told us whether we were going to South Pacific or to England. Of course, ours, we went to England. And uh, we landed in England. I was in the seven twenty fifth bomb squadron, and that was b seventeenth heavy bomb bombard and uh, from there we flew our missions. Uh, our very first mission uh, was to Leipzig, Germany. Its kind of deep in and, and uh, we started a bomb run and There's a big blast of flack in the left of us, and and a little later, a big blast on the right, and I thought, boy, these gunners are really off, and all of a sudden, they they filled the gap there, (laughs) and we got shot up pretty bad, and we lost about five of our planes there, and we dropped our bombs and went on home, and the next morning, is we go to our briefing early in the morning, to what our next mission was. Is it was back to Leipzig, Germany again, because we'd missed our target. <laughs> so that was kind of thrilling. But we did hit the target that time, and, and they had certain missions they called shuttle bombing. You'd take off from England and bomb Germany, and land in Russia. Russia was our ally then. So the target was pretty deep in Germany. And we got shot up pretty badly over the target. the lost one en- engine. So we had to drop out of our formation. And our fighter escort says, oh, I'm sorry, big brother, but we can't fly that slow. You're on your own. And uh, I said to Jack, uh, who was our navigator, I I the bombardier navigator, mainly bombardier, and there's two kinds of pilotages. There's dead reckoning and pilotage. And I said, uh, Joe, you do dead reckoning and I'll do pilotage. See if we can't find where we are. I said, which map are we on? And it covers a lot of miles, you know. He says, "I don't know." (laughs) So uh, we just flew by ourselves, and our Jack uh, spotted this little airfield in this country town there. And so we flew over the little town and firing red, red flares, and and we landed that great big B-17 little airfield. And all the Russians came running out with pick forts and clubs and guns and surrounded us. And we couldn't make him understand we were Americans. And our co-pilot, uh, offered was from German descent, and he could speak German. So he told him in German we're Americans. And they said, oh, Americanskis. And so after that, we we're heroes. And they took us in and uh, had a big banquet uh, that night for us. And there'd be a toast for Roosevelt, and a toast for Stalin, a, a toast for Churchill, you know. And, you know, vodka looks just like water. And the crew knew I didn't drink, and so I'd slip my vodka over to my co-pilot, Nudoffer, Dutch Nudoffer, and I'd tell a little girl to fill my glass again. <laughs> they couldn't figure out I didn't get drunk, but New Dollar forgot to get drunk. We pack had to carry him to our barracks that night. And they told us to be on this mission if we got shot down, or we'd probably come back from uh, there in a boat through New- the Suez Canal and all that. And we were sleeping in our tent that night, and in the morning, a general come and opened a flap in a tent and got us out. And They had patched up another old B-17, and we flew that. And the shuttle bomb, we go from England to Germany to Italy, then back to England. So we flew in the second leg into Italy and bomb us past as that, and from Italy. We flew back to England.
0: So, how long were you in Russia at that 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 particular time you were just speaking of?
1: We were over there about a, a week at the most.
0: Okay, so, when you were when you were landing, you had no idea where you were, right? So, what what was going? Oh, no, that's head? for sure. What were you thinking as you were preparing to land?
1: <laughs> well, we was hoping the jack had landed in that little tiny field, that big B seventeen. <laughs> so. There were, he did, and then we got surrounded by the Russians, and then they found out who we were, and then we were Americanski, or he was. So anyhow, uh, after we got to be England, we flew a few more missions, and then on our 23rd mission, our target was over Hamburg, Germany, and uh, the B-17s take off first, because they're slower and your fighter escort, the p 51s would take off later and make rendezvous with you over the target and escort you in and, and out of the target. Well, they never did show up that morning. We made a couple extra circles out over the North Sea, and they never did show up, so we went in on our bomb run and dropped our bombs, and the Germans jumped us And they set us on fire. And uh, Jack, uh, the pilot, gave the bailout order. In the B-17, in the nose, there's there's an escape hatch. You pull this lever and it's supposed to drop the escape door. We weren't flying in our regular B-17 that morning because they were changing the engine on it. And we had an old... When they'd patch it up, they called it the Joker, I believe it was. <laughs> and you'd pull that escape ladder, and it'd unlock it, but lock it, but it wouldn't drop it. And the co-pilot went out first, and the, the engineer, and then it the navigator who was up the nose with me. He got all tangled up, and I put my foot on his head and pushed him out. And <laughs> the, then something told me, This plane is going to explode. Throw yourself against that escape hatch. And I did. And I could feel my legs hitting the belly of the ship. And the plane exploded and blew me out. And something told me, don't panic, pull that ripcord, which I did. And as soon as the parachute opened, a big... Piece of our wing that's on fire just missed uh, my parachute. And then this German plane started turning in to strafe me. And out of nowhere these two B-51s showed up. One stayed up high and covered him and the other and rode him right in the ground. That German fire till he exploded. And he came up, wiggled his wings at me and and away he went. So I landed in
0: the- So what's going through your head now? I, this is what I've been thinking about is how, about how long were you in the air when you are perishing you down and what are you thinking about? Do you have a plan or are you... Uh, just what's going on inside?
1: Well, I didn't have much of a plan <laughs> then. That you, you don't get much of a sensation of falling when you bail out until you just like you're hanging there and the wind's blowing past you. And then when you get close to the ground, it's like somebody cut the wire and it comes up real fast. And as I put my right foot out to break the fall, I spread it pretty badly. But, and then on the land as I hid my parachute and got out this escape cap, uh, compass we carried in our flight suit pockets and thought I'd head for Norway. And a big line of soldiers and kids started coming across the field, and they passed over me, and they got about a half a block away, and one little kid spotted me and turned around and pointed me out, and they come and captured me.
0: <laughs> Were you in an open field?
1: Yes, kind of an old, old open field, yes. Okay, so there's Instruly no way you could... Okay, you couldn't even, you know, hide at all then and be discouraged. Well, I I was hiding behind some bushes then when they passed over me. And this young kid turned around and spotted me and pointed me out, and they came back. And then from there, they took me in the motorcycle into this town next to where we were. And, And we... Put us in the uh, recreation hall, kind of, uh, just covered with uh, men from the Air Force. You know, had been shot down. Our engineer, uh, Bellflower, was was only 18 years old, and they told us not to recognize anybody. With you know, crew to crew. Anyhow, in the middle of the night, he crawled over to me on the floor and. I said, Lieutenant, I'm afraid they are going to shoot me. I said, Bill, what makes you think that? He said, well, when I bailed out, I lost my dog tags. You know what they are? I do. That's your tags on your... I said, Bill, you're dressed in an American Air Force uniform. You know what happened to you? Get back there and go to sleep. (laughs) I never did see him again, a, or he went to a, There were only four of us got out of the plane, the, the co-pilot and the engineer, which was Belfall and Jack, and the navigator and me. The, the rest of them, I don't know if they were killed in the fighter attack or when the plane exploded, but there's only four of us survived it.
0: So when you landed, were your was the uh, pilot and the navigator all were they near
1: you? No, no. The only one I saw was that engineer Bell that young kid. That night in the uh, sculpture this culture hall, where, where and from then they took me down to Frankfurt, Germany, for interrogation, and they called me in the. Lieutenant Frank W. Jones, Jr., front and center. I went in there, and this uh, German colonel interviewed me. was very intelligent. He could speak perfect English. And he said, Lieutenant, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, yeah, I'd like a, a drink of water. I think we, they took us down there in the boxcar on the train. And he got me a nice drink of water, and then he filled, pulled out a form for me to fill out, uh, all about my bomb squadron, our targets, and all that. And, and they told us when we got captured, you just tell them your name, rank, and serial number. I said, I'm Frank W. Jones, Jr. My serial number is 0772058. And he says, "Well, come on now, Lieutenant. You want to play games with me? I can do that too." And I said, "Frank W. Jones Jr., my serial number is 0772058." He says, "Well, I'm going to throw you in solitary confinement. You'll be begging to talk to me next time we get together." So he put me in solitary confinement and. When I landed, I I could hear, but it's like you were talking to me through a big long tube, you know. That's from the explosion. And um, the last thing I could hear, and I was in solitary confinement after a few weeks, is I'd clinked to the top of my water bottle, clink, clink, and then I couldn't hear it at all. And he called me in to interrogate me again, and I just said to him, I'm sorry, I'm deaf, I can't hear. I'm sorry, I'm deaf, I can't hear. And he wrote me a note. He said, Lieutenant, are you deaf? And I said, yes, sir. And from there, they sent me to a, a makeshift hospital. It just an old hotel, I think it was. And they didn't do anything for you, but I laid there. And then one morning, the guard came in to bring us our Breakfast, and he slammed the door quite hard, and I could hear again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I could still hear. I, I've still lost about a third of my hearing, but I could hear all right. And then uh, from then, they took us down to Nuremberg, where our prisoner of war camp was, and it, it, right close to a marshaling yard and it was kind of scary that the british bombed at night they thought it was safer and of course we did in the daytime and you want to see if we're fourth of july fireworks why well you should be there then they they come over there and they have the big spotlights and the anti-aircraft guns bursting and all that mm. but anyhow they the uh, General Patton, you've heard of him, oh, Blood blood and Guts? Definitely. Well, his army got close to us there in, in Nuremberg, and they, they marched us down to Munich, southern Germany. In fact, that it, would, it was kind of a cold uh, uh, groundhog day. We were on the march you know. then. So you're walking? He, yeah, yes. About how many miles was it? Well, from uh, Nuremberg, Munich, it's whatever it is. It's several several miles. And, uh, and they they bed us down in a, a farmyard, you know. And uh, I slept in a pig pen that night. But anyhow, uh, finally we reached our... P.O.W. Camp in Munich there and, and uh, we uh, had uh, mostly soup for our meal and uh, and maybe some bread that looked like me. i out of saw this. And anyhow, they, one morning I was sitting in my bunk with a buddy and uh, the soup was uh, had these little yellow gone, gone bonds of beans in it. I says, what's that little black spot on the beans? He said, Jones, don't you know? I said, no. He said, I'm pick one out and squeeze it. So I did, and the weevil popped out. So I picked all my uh, beans out with the black spot. I didn't have any more soup left, so I put them back in, Nathan.
0: <laughs> uh, I guess you got some good protein
1: from that. <laughs> yes, I guess so. So anyhow, one morning that, later, uh, uh, B- p 51s come over in the area around the, the camp, and then uh, our tanks uh, showed up, and they had quite a battle over the, over the area. And uh, I looked to the west, and I could see a a small town west of Munich, and the American flag went up. And then pretty soon, uh, the tanks came crashing through our barbed wire, and and we were free.
0: So how long were
1: you at POW? I was just four months. I shot down the last day in January, and I liberated on my... Wife's birthday, April twenty ninth. Anyhow, yeah, this our guard. Uh, you ever watch Hogan's Heroes? I, I used to.
0: I don't remember much about it though.
1: You remember that sergeant that's kind of a clown for German? Well, our guard did much like him, but anyhow they was up all the cards and marks in them out. He says You tell them i good to you. We said, never knew you. <laughs> so I don't know what ever happened to him. But So were they, they good, to you? Dinner.
0: How did they treat you?
1: Well, they was cold and hungry. Other than that, it was all right.
0: Well, I was talking told to uh, uh, Stan Staley, who was another POW there in, in Germany. He was in Frankfurt, I believe. And he said they took their clothes every night from them. Uh, so he had nothing but... A, he was naked; just had a blanket. Did, did they do that to you?
1: No, they didn't. No, our, our barracks weren't for very flush or anything, but no, they didn't do that to us. No. But anyhow, yeah, then they they took us up to an airfield and flew us over to France, and, and from France we uh, took a boat back to the United States. And uh, when I got home, they sent the married men with their wives to Santa Monica, California, for rest and recuperation. And my little wife and I got to go there, and I was supposed to be assigned, go to Texas eventually and be reassigned, but uh, I was over there, we were downtown, walking with my wife and I, and... Everybody started to scream and shout, and hooray and hurrah and the uh, Japanese is, is surrendered. <laughs> so from there, I come back home. That's about my story.
0: Well, so did you have any communication with your family or with anyone um, outside the camp while you were a prisoner?
1: Well, uh, in their prison war camp, the Germans and the Americans repatriated uh, those that had lost an arm or a leg, you know one for one and this one uh, fellow in our POW had Richard Radlinger, I think his name was had lost a norm and he, he was going to be repatriated And the Red Cross used to give a uh, a bunch of cigarettes every once in a while, you know And, of course, I didn't smoke, and I saved him, and Richard was a heavy smoker, and I said, Richard, if you do me a favor, I'll give you all these cigarettes. And he said, What do you want, Lieutenant? And I said, If you call my wife when you get back in the States and tell her that we were in the same POW camp and that I was all right. And I gave him the cigarettes, and... He called her when he got in the States.
0: Hmm. So did she know that you, even that you had
1: been shot down? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. They, uh, they, uh, the, the air force lets you know, you get the letter, whatever it is, telegram. Yes.
0: So was, was she, were you missing in action or what, what did they classify you as?
1: Missing in action. Okay. And a little part of this story is my friend that I lived within the block there in Logan, Utah. And we played together all the times. He was in the air transport and he and his buddies flew up to our camp to see us one weekend, and and they told him, "Didn't you know that?" Lieutenant Jones' plane was shot down, and it exploded, and there were no survivors. And he thought he better ride his folks so they could tell my folks. He just lived a block away at uh, Skimpoot. And my little wife, was she lived in Salt Lake with her parents, with our son, She was up visiting my folks that Sunday, and they came down, read that letter to my folks. And my dad says that my wife, Eileen, went all to pieces. They went out into the kitchen and crying and sobbing. And then a few minutes she came back in and said, no, Frank's alive just before i went over we both had our patriarchal blessing and she said in frank's patriarchal blessing it said he will return so that was a comfort to her yeah
0: yeah faithful woman how did your
1: dad take it well he was very pleased too and she said about that patriarchal blessing that we that uh, we had had, you know, that we were pretty sure to have, I'm sure, when when they first read that letter to me. That's with my mother. But that's about the story. <laughs>
0: well, how did you hold up mentally uh, while you were a prisoner?
1: Well, I told you a couple of times that something told me. You do this and do that. The plane was being shot down. I just felt the Lord was watching over me. I really sincerely did. They they had me speak at the Quantics Club uh, Boys State a couple of years ago. And of course they had a bunch of young men there. Some were LDS, some were other religion and but I told them about my experience, and but I told them that I felt, I still feel today, the older, only reason we won the war is because the Lord is on our side. The Germans had better tanks had better, and better aircraft, better airplane, but still we won the war. So that's the way I felt about it, too. Interesting.
0: Well, so how did you, so your life since, did you, did you get out of the military or what, what was your career like after you got home and after you took your, your little vacation to California?
1: Well, I used to, I was working for Safeway stores and I went back to Safeway stores and spent the rest of my time with them. I, uh. I got out of the military. Well, I went, I signed up for the reserve, but I, I didn't want to be transferred all over the country. But, uh, they did call me up for the Korean War. I was in the reserve and they gave me tests and everything. And they called me and asked the exams and we had to go to Portland, Oregon. They said, Lieutenant, we don't want you for flight duty. We don't want you for ground duty. And I thought, buddy, you're not breaking my heart. <laughs> but uh, I got back to Safeway. I, I serve, uh, if they're Logan, then I got my first store in Preston, Idaho, then Pocatello, Idaho, and then to, uh, Provo, Utah and, uh, Colorado Springs. And Phoenix, Arizona, it has different management positions. So I traveled more with Safeway and I would have if I'd stayed in the military. <laughs> 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 that, that's the story of my life. I'm 94 now, and don't know how much longer the Lord will leave me here, but I'm here.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, Mr. Jones, what what are some lessons that you learned from being in the
1: military? just to have faith in the Lord, mainly. Live your religion, just like at that banquet the, the Russians had for us, the toast for Stalin Churchill and Roosevelt, and the crew knew I didn't drink, and so when I slipped the vodka over to the Dutch there with me, and <laughs> No, I just tried to live my religion.
0: Yeah, you know that's that's uh, remarkable because you were in a foreign country. Uh, you know nothing familiar to you, and it would have been easy and convenient, you know, just to follow suit. Uh, but you didn't. Oh yes,
1: very. you know that, nope. that's. Yeah. I never smoked cigarettes either, or anything. It wasn't it was against the word of wisdom. So I just lived my religion over there. Okay. Well, is and there faith anything? In the
0: Lord. Is there anything when you speak to groups of people, whether it's youngsters or older groups? Is there anything else that you that you tell people to, you know, to motivate them or inspire them to, you know, to be better? I mean, just looking for some any parting words of wisdom from you, <laughs> if you want to share.
1: Well, uh, just uh, I don't. Some of them are of my face, Some of them aren't. That. But... Just love the Lord and keep His commandments.